0: well it's time for our our bible reading and uh, today's reading is in romans chapter 14 and the first 12 verses which read as follows as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts uh, today. As Russell was reminding us earlier, uh, we are a church family. And what I want to speak to you about today... uh, it's about four essential, four key attitudes that we need to have as part of being a church family. Uh, we're all brothers and sisters here, but we've all been saved out of different backgrounds. We come at different ages and stages, carrying different experiences. And uh, like all families, Things are not just sweetness and light uh, all the time, and there can be bumps and hiccups uh, along the road. And uh, here in this passage, Paul talks about one of these hiccups. Well, it's probably a little bit more than a hiccup, if uh, the truth be told, because if you read some of the vocabulary in this passage, um, you'll read about tensions, you'll read about conflict he talks about quarreling. He talks about despising and judging. Not the most pleasant or healthy kind of description. So, so this is what's going on. This is the background. There's somebody here, a group of people in verse 1, who are described as being weak in faith. Now what that means is that they had a conscience about certain things. They had, they had scruples. They, they were not comfortable in in particular situations. And um, you can understand that. I mean, you get some similar background in 1 Corinthians 8, if you want to read that later on. Um, I mean, you can understand people who were used to a background of idol worship and idol temples and the demonic activity that went on all round about that. And they knew very well what the score was that if they went into the market on any given day and they bought their meat there, that uh, that meat, first of all, as part of the way that everything was done, had been, up at the, had been up at the pagan temple and had been offered to the pagan idol first before it had then found its way to the meat market and they had bought it at the equivalent of Morrison's. And so they, they had a problem with that. You know, they really struggled with that. They felt that you know if I eat this meat that somehow or another that I, I feel complicit in this whole idea of of idol worship and the demonic activity and all the lifestyle and behavior stuff that went all round about that and and they had a real issue with that kind of situation. These are the people who are being spoken about actually in verse one and described as being weakened faith now the other folks who were who were like this were jewish and of course they had a whole background of the old testament and of the ceremonial laws and many of these laws of course were dietary laws there were certain things that they were told that they couldn't eat pork for instance and um and they found it very difficult even although they had come to faith in christ and they were now part of the family of God, the church, to just break free of that. One of the classic examples, of course, you read about in Acts chapter 10 is Peter. And um, he's told that he can he can eat anything. He's told that now that uh, things are different. And he, and he struggled with that. And he, it took a, a lot for him to get over that. And so you, you still have these kind of feelings and people with that sense of discomfort. And they just are having difficulties. And and the point that they're making in the church is, you know, we've got to look at this. We've got to take all of this into consideration. This is a big issue. And they're they're forcing everybody to fall into line with their thoughts on these issues. So you can understand the conflict that's going on and the arguments that are going on in the church at this particular time. And he says to them, well what are we going to do how are we going to cope with this this difference what he says is well he might be weak in faith they might be weak in faith because of their scruples but you still have to welcome them and by the way you're not welcoming them to get them in the door so you can sort them out You don't welcome them just so that you can quarrel with them and put them on the right path. Now, the crucial point here uh, that's worth just stopping on for a wee while is that uh, these matters that I've just described, he says here, if you look at verse 1, are opinions. They are opinions. So these are not foundational things. These are disputable points. They're not indisputable, these viewpoints on these particular issues. They're non-essential, and they come out of somebody's cultural background, and they come out of their preferences. And so as that, they're not to be a point of fundamental contention within the church. So all of this passage here deals with this idea of things that are secondary and that are open to discussion and essentially are opinions they're not foundational at all so let me just say at this stage something about the idea of faith because these people are being described here as those who are weak in faith weak in faith so We know that faith is absolutely crucial in the Christian life. You can't enter into the family of God uh, without faith. Without faith, it is impossible, absolutely impossible, to please God. And we learn in Romans, haven't we, that the righteous will live by faith. If we're going to be in a right standing before God, we we must have faith. And we know that the whole point about faith is is the object of faith. It is who our faith is in. It has to be faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and in his finished work. So, so faith is something that is absolutely foundational. Secondly, we are told that we are to contend for the faith. All right. Now when, when that term, the faith, is used, it really is talking about the gospel. It's talking about the, the whole body of truth that contains the crucial foundational points of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these things are not up for discussion. These things are not a matter of opinion. So this passage is not just about total inclusiveness. Whatever goes, you know, we'd be tolerant of absolutely everything. This passage is about those who are weak in faith, not those who are weak in the faith. You see, the faith are all these crucial things about the deity of Christ, the deity and the humanity of Christ, the fact of human sin, that we're all, we all have fallen short of God's glory. The key foundational points about the cross of Christ Being the sole way in which a person can be right with God. About coming judgment. All of these are non-negotiable. They are not a matter of opinion. These are things that are crucial. And that is not really what is being spoken about here in this passage. The third point about faith is this. That we are, as Christians in the family of God, expected to grow in faith. You know, some people here are weak. Some people are described later later on, chapter 15, verse 1, as those who are strong in faith. The the disciples on one occasion said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And if you read um, in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham, it says about Abraham that he grew strong in faith through his experiences. And so the expectation is that we grow in faith our faith and we don't remain in a weak situation so important to say all these things so that we understand what this passage is talking about and what it is not talking about now the other point of course we have to make is this is this of any relevance to us i mean we are not you know worried about uh, our food being offered to idols uh, but there are things that fall under this category there are principles that are laid out here that are still very relevant uh, to us for instance this one's not just quite so relevant in this culture many years ago we lived in zambia and uh, one thing you did not find in a church service in zambia when the music was being played was a drum Is that right, Florence? No drums. Why no drums? Because the drum, I mean, we used to be in our beds at night, you know, and we could hear the drums going. And, uh, you know, there was stuff going on down in the villages. And the drum in that culture was all tied in with ancestral spirit worship. And all the behavior and things that went along with that. And so people, when they came to faith in Christ, and they met as the family of God, as the church, they were very uncomfortable about having a drum as part of the worship of Christ because of all the connotations and all the background and all the cultural stuff that came with it. So what about our music in general? Some people of a certain generation, and uh, they feel a wee bit uncomfortable about having uh, modern Worship music, you know, they equate that with rock music, and uh, they think, well, you know, there's a whole lot of connotations as far as that is concerned, uh, and I'm not quite sure if I, I think that is the right thing that should be happening within a church context. On the other hand, and I have this particular thing on my playlist, I have to say, uh, a song by a chap called Larry Norman, and he says this: Why should the devil? have all the good music um, so you have differences of opinion over music you have differences of opinion on other things how should you pray what kind of language should you use when you pray what kind of format should a church service have and so forth and so on so so these things are with us matters of opinion people who have different viewpoints on different things which can potentially cause problems because there are some people who will look down on those who have the scruples they will see them as being just ridiculous they're tight they're narrow they're unsophisticated and they despise them and on the other hand the person who does have the scruples and who does have a conscience about certain things begins to point the finger at the other group and he passes judgment on them and he said you should be doing this why are you not doing this and they're judged because of their attitude you recognize any of this because i do i recognize it and have seen it in many places over the years and so it's live and kicking what are we to do well what we are to do is to follow what paul says here and lays out in this chapter there are four things there are four essential attitudes that we must have in a matter of opinion when there are these two camps on any one subject so let's go through them number one and that's taken from the first verse Number one, we are to welcome them. We are to welcome them. Okay? Genuinely, as I said earlier, not to sort them out, but welcome them into the life of the church, to the fellowship of Christ's people, to to welcome them genuinely into our lives and into our hearts, not to exclude them, not to keep them at arm's length not to close the door to them to welcome them genuinely and why is that it is because god has welcomed them god has welcomed them look again down at chapter 15 and uh and where is it verse 7 therefore welcome one another as christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's just pause on this point and think about how God has welcomed us the, for me the best, the best passage that um, depicts this is the parable of the prodigal son. You know the son who just wasted things just wrecked his life, complete mess, mayhem spiritually and yet the father is ready waiting every day for his son to return and he embraces him. Despite the royal mess that he's made. And he puts the banquet on. And everything, you know, is just wonderful. This genuine welcome that the father makes for his son. Who's made such a mess of things. That, that's all of us. If we've placed faith in Christ. That is the way that God's attitude is towards us. He has welcomed us. Absolutely. Absolutely into his family he is our heavenly father and surely if god has done that for all of his children who are we who are we not to welcome and what are we to hold other believers at arm's length as far as this is concerned so that's the first point welcome them second attitude that's essential and that we must always bear in mind is this They are God's servants. They are God's servants. You see that? It says in verse number 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? You know, the fellow believer in the Lord Jesus, you don't own them. You, You don't control them. He doesn't belong to you. He belongs to God. God is his master. You know, it's like, uh, say the the accountant's office next door to our surgery uh, sent somebody in and and they said, uh, we don't like the way your receptionists are dressed. We don't like the color of their uniform. And we think they need to get a formal warning. And probably you should be sacking them. You know, We would be saying, well, what's that got to do with you? You know, they're our employees. You know, uh, we know about things. And uh, we'll make the decision about that. It really has got nothing at all to do with you. We must remember this. As we look upon our fellow believer. They are the Lord's servant. And the Lord is able to make them to stand. I mean, you might be looking at them and they're saying, not much hope for them. I'm not sure they're going to make much progress can't really see anything much happening for them but god is able to make them stand even although i don't think that i can make them stand or there's any chance of them standing the lord is able to make them stand and he will uphold them and so we are to have this attitude of they're the lords they will stand and fall before their own master god is their master point number three they are trying to honor the same Lord. Their motivation is the same as your motivation. Now, if you look at this next part of the passage, and uh, if we think in particular of, the, of the, the food scruples, the other one, of course, has to do with, with particular days, but it's the same principle. So if you think of the food scruple one, so here is the person who feels they can eat the meat and uh, the reason for that is because he's trying to honor the lord he's thinking i have to take a stand here i have to um i have to separate myself from all this pagan stuff round about uh, and i and i have to just show that i'm different and so the reason that he's taking that attitude and in fact the reason he's almost trying to impose that on the rest of the church. It's actually for a good motive. He's trying to honour the Lord. He's trying to live for the Lord. The other group, those who have no problem at all with what they're eating, interestingly, well, we shouldn't be surprised at it, but they have exactly the same motivational attitude. Because they are saying, you know, this, there's no such thing as an idol. An idol is just a lump of metal or a lump of wood there', there 's nothing there and and the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof you know and 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 we 've been taught that um you know if we give thanks for food that everything is sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer and and we 're free to eat anything all, all the old Testament ceremonial stuff is no longer holding that 's what Peter was taught, and Peter taught that to us, and we 've moved on from there and so it's, it's a retrograde step being bound by these things. And, and, and they're also trying to honor the Lord by this. And, and of course, that's what he's saying. None of us lives to ourselves. None of us dies to ourselves. You know, this is the whole reason that the Lord Jesus died and rose again. So that he might be Lord of the living and of the dead. That is the heart of things. That is the whole point of the gospel, that there might be a genuine acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Lord. And, And both of these groups are actually trying to do it. That's their motivation, even although they're ending up in different places. It's important that we have that attitude, that we see that from whatever camp that we're in, what the other person's genuine state of mind is. Of course, this is such a key point, isn't it? A key point for us to be challenged with. That, have I made that great confession that Jesus Christ is Lord? You know, bound into that is the fact of his deity. Bound into that is the fact of his ascension and that he is in heaven at God's right hand. Bound in with that is the fact that I am making him and acknowledging him to be my master and Lord. The one to whom I give priority. And who I will live for. I will bow my heart and my life in front of. Jesus Christ. Is, that, is the, that is the reason the gospel is preached. That we might say that. And mean it. And live it. And then the final reason. Is uh, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, we will all do that. I mean, it is worth distinguishing, actually, that the Bible does speak about different types of judgment in the future. It talks about the judgment of those who are not Christians, who are not part of the family of God, who will have to stand before God and give an account for their sins. On you know, why they didn't believe in Christ and why they didn't bow the, the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. What's been talked about here is something different. There, there, is ju- there is a judgment for Christians, but it hasn't got to do with their sin because that has been dealt with by Christ. That's why in chapter 8 he can write the words, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's wonderful. Not to know that I'm I'm going to be condemned by God, that my guilt is gone. I've been justified, and all the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me. And that when God looks upon me, he looks upon me as being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Because Christ experienced the penalty of sin. And Christ was condemned, and he was judged for my sin, and I have embraced that by faith. So, so that's not what's being spoken about today. But there is there is a point when we will have to all of us give an account to God. And by the way, I won't be giving that an account for you. I'll be giving it for myself, and that's that's part of what he's driving at here. The judgment seat is when we give an account for ourselves, not for the other people that we're either despising or the people that we're judging. We give account for ourselves, And God knows the motives of all our hearts. And he will look into it all. And that judgment. You read about this in 1 Corinthians 3 for instance. It mainly has to do with our faithfulness to God. Our service to God. What we have done for him. You know whether it's of value. Whether we've given it priority. Is it something that's like gold or silver or precious stones or is it just wood hay stubble talks about some of our works that that will just be burned up and 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 somehow or another we will be saved but it's 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 saved as passing through a fire so it's a a solemn thing nevertheless and we will all stand before the judgment seat of god and each of us will have to give an account. It's a solemn thing. Solemn to think of that, that when this life work is ended, you know, and I cross the swelling tide and I I stand before God one day, I will give account. And therefore this passage is relevant. How I deal, my conduct with my fellow christians and with the family of god so we look around this morning all the people who are here and those of us who have been born of god born again can call call god our father our heavenly father we're all part of this wonderful family of god today how are we to relate to one another what are the essential attitudes that we must have to our fellow brothers and sisters? We are to welcome them because God has welcomed them. We are to remember they are God's servants. They'll stand before Him. He's able to make them stand. I don't own them. They're trying to honour the Lord as much as I am. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I think if there's anything that should help some family dynamics, it is these points. And these are only some of them. This is actually going to be continued next week by Johnny. And there are other issues at the rest of the chapter that have a bearing on this important subject as well. May God bless his word. Uh, Shall we pray? Lord, we just commit each other into your hands Thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for what it does in all our lives. Uh, We appreciate that we might be at different stages of experience. And our growth might be weak or it might be stronger. Lord, we pray that these attitudes that we have been learning about, that we might be able to factor them into our lives. We thank you for the wonderful welcome that you extend to each of us. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And so, Lord, for the wonderful gospel of Christ and all its implications, we give thanks and we pray a blessing of your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.